1: Good afternoon. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T Shao Yi. It's Friday afternoon, and I finally got my co-host, Doctor George Lee, back in the studio after a long break.
2: It was a sabbatical. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: Yes. <laughs> whatever so, we call it these days.
1: So you are well refreshed then.
2: Absolutely ready to go. For, you know, yeah. yeah, for important subjects that we cover.
1: A pretty heavy one today. Mm-hmm. Um, we are discussing recent news that you know a lot of people were sharing and getting possibly quite alarmed about.
2: Getting really wound up.
1: Yes. Exactly. Um, you know, this is the kind of news that that, that the WhatsApp chat groups love. Um, it needs a
2: lot of clarification. That's
1: right. It was um, coming off the back of a WHO agency's report uh, that classified aspartame or, or that uh, the the sugar substitute as a quote-unquote possible carcinogen. So what we want to discuss today is um, what does this mean? So this was a report that um, came from the International Agency for Research on Cancer. Um, and we want to understand understand um, you know whether uh, you know what? What uh, really that definition of possible carcinogen means. We understand there are different levels of um, categories that the that the IARC uses. Um, we will also be discussing how food additives like aspartame are regulated, uh, among others, by the Ministry of Health um, for safety. And of course, the million-dollar question would be: Is aspartame safe to yeah, be consumed? and what does
2: it mean to you if you've been consuming all this time?
1: Yes. So um, our guests joining us for this discussion today, T.S. Norani Eksan Senior Director from the Food uh, Safety and Quality Program uh, at the Ministry of Health. Uh, she's joining us via Zoom as she can't be in the studio with us, uh, but in the studio um, with me and George, Professor Dr. Teo Su Huang, Chief Scientific Officer from Cancer Research Malaysia. So we've got some uh, nice uh, combined perspectives. We've got
2: big guns. <laughs> we,
1: do, we definitely have big guns. Uh, Puan Norani over there on Zoom, uh, uh, in MOH, how are you? Thank you so much. Hi, 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 everybody. Uh, is here. Uh, I'm I'm okay. I'm good. All right, and uh, thank you. And Prof Teo, how are you doing?
0: Very good. Always nice to be here in BFM, especially with both you and and uh,
1: both of you. <laughs> and um, perhaps I could start with Prof Teo first uh, to tell us. Who is this agency, this uh, International Agency for Research on Cancer, uh, which really has been at the centre of this news? So IARC is an agency that was set up in Lyon in a long time ago.
0: It was set up in 1965, largely because uh, a whole group of luminaries from France you know, really looked at the statistics of where cancer was going and they realised that cancer was increasing in incidence year on year and that increase in incidence means that there really needs to be better data to guide policy on what are the things that causes this epidemic? What are the things that that we can do as countries Mm -hmm. to ensure that we put better public health policy to ensure better cancer control? So the idea was, you know, we need to have an authority that can really compile all the evidence, the different research studies in one place and put it out under the WHO name so that it has the weight to be able to say this is the good quality data that says whether something is carcinogenic or cancer-causing or whether it's not. So what they really tried to do was to try and focus in particular on what are the things that causes cancer versus what are the things that may increase your risk of cancer. And so they came up with a list, and this is what they call the IARC monographs, mm-hmm. that really describe what are the things that causes cancer. So what are the things that are hazards to our health that con-
1: countries and the people need to be aware of? Mm. So we'll get into sort of those different definitions and categories in a little while. Ponorani, uh, from your side, your expertise is in dealing with uh, food regulations. And there was another agency that jointly issued this report together with IARC, and that's the that's Jackfar, the Joint FAO WHO Expert Committee on Food Additives. So, can you tell us a bit more about the work that Far does?
3: Okay, okay, thank you. Okay, uh, I think uh, Ira and Jackfar have a different but uh, complementary roles in the evaluation uh, assessment of the chemical substance, and uh, Jackfar assess how much of the real life risk that a substance possesses and I think this uh, JAKFA is a joint FAO and WHO Expert Committee on Food Additive and is an international scientific expert committee that is administered jointly by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, which is FAO, and the World Health Organization. Uh, JAKFA is responsible for evaluating the safety of food additive. And also include the evaluation of contaminant, uh, naturally occurring toxicant, and residue of veterinary drugs in food. And uh, JECFA also serves as an independent scientific expert committee, which perform risk assessments and provide advice to FAO and WHO and the member's country of both organisations, as well as to the Codex Alimentarius Commission and when we are referring to the uh, anything to do with the food uh, normally we have this codex alimentarius commission with the subsidiary body uh, which is a standard setting a uh, standard setting body under the who and fao and uh we in malaysia we are referring this codex standard uh, uh in our food regulation
1: all right and can you also uh give us a 101, on this compound called aspartame that is in the middle of all this controversy right now, um, what is aspartame? How is it used? Um, how long has it been, you know, sort of in public consumption as a as a, a sugar substitute?
3: Uh, I think um, everybody uh, talking about the, the report that has been published and actually before, you know, uh, the WHO published the press release uh, mm. on the uh, of July. I think when we talk about aspartame, I think uh, this, they know there is an artificial sweetener uh, which has uh, 200 times sweeter than sucrose. And I think it's widely used um, in various food and beverages, uh, product, including diet drink, low-calorie food, or soft drink. And even it has been used in ice cream and also uh, uh, dairy product. And because of the, 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 the sweetness, which is 200 times sweeter than sucrose, uh, normally they are used uh, as a sugar, uh, sugar substitute. Uh, because only the small amount is needed to match the sweetness they obtain from sugars. And in addition, some prescription and over-the-counter medication or chewable vitamins may also contain aspartame uh, to increase the palatability. Uh, because um, uh, aspartame is also found in several types of low-calorie tabletop uh, sweetener. But normally, when in the uh, when aspartame is used in the tabletop sweetener, uh, they are often blended with other sweetener or other food component to minimize the bitter flavor and enhance overall taste, because they are aftertaste if they are only used uh, alone. The, you know, uh, uh, the aspartame is used as a tabletop sweetener. And uh, actually, aspartame uh, is not uh, suitable for food that are required baking, because uh, prolonged exposure to high temperature can cause it to uh, to lose its sweetness.
1: But... And- but pardon, Rani, um aspartame has been studied by the Ministry of Health in Malaysia, right? And um, based on your reviews, it is actually it has been approved um, for use by consumers. Is that right?
3: Yes, yes. Actually, uh, okay. Actually, aspartame has been used as a low uh, calorie sweetener uh, for decades. Um, And it has been uh, allowed to be added in food in Malaysia, I think, since 1995. Mm. Uh, And under the joint FAOW expert committee on food additive or commonly US jackpot, as I mentioned earlier, they first evaluated uh, aspartame uh, through the scientific risk assessment and safety evaluation in 1981 Mm. and also concluded that it is safe to be used. And also Codex um, adopted uh, aspartame as food additive under the Codex General Standard for Food Additive, uh, which can be added for a certain type of food category uh, on that date. And in the uh, United States, under the US FDA, they have approved aspartame for use in certain food in 1981, Mm -hmm. and soft drink in 1983, and authorised the aspartame as a general purpose returner for food and beverages in 1996. And even in the EU, they also have uh, approved aspartame to be used as a food additive in 1994. And uh, I think besides that, aspartame is also currently being approved the use of this um, in more than 100 countries. So including Malaysia, of course. Mm. And uh, normally uh, for Malaysia, because we are the signatory under the WTO, and this Codex standard is being used as a reference standard when there is a dispute. So um, all our food regulation, including what can be added to food, including the additive, we are referring to the interne- international standard. In this case, is the the one in Codex, and as aspartame has been evaluated and been approved in Kodak. So I think Malaysia also uh, followed the, the you know, because of the technical function and because of, first thing is the, of course, the safety. It has been evaluated by Far and it has been shown that it's safe uh, according to the, you know, the, 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 the ADI. So uh, that's why I think Malaysia also allow it to be used mm-hmm. in the regulation. Yeah, for decades mm-hmm. as well. Yeah.
2: So, on one hand, it's been safe for decades, and suddenly the question marks. How credible is this question mark? Sewer.
0: Well, coming from the IARC, it is extremely credible because the way the IARC has a very robust process to be able to evaluate data. And data such as this, you know, an IARC uses four categories to just name whether something is a carcinogen or not. And they put them in the categories according to what we call levels of evidence. So if you can show there's a carcinogen in human beings, mm-hmm. which is the highest class of um, evidence, then it's a class one carcinogen. Mm-hmm. So things that are in class one carcinogens would include Our our old enemy, smoking. (laughs) All
2: right, of course. Um, Sunlight, (laughs) Uh
0: obesity, even right, and lack of exercise. You know, all of these are what we call you know class one, group one carcinogens. So
2: basically, the ones that we're quite convinced.
0: Absolutely convinced. That means that there's not just one study, there's multiple studies that show convincingly that these are Class 1 carcinogens. And mm. you know, the WHO put uh, processed meats in that Class 1 carcinogens oh. list, right? So it basically means things like uh, our favourite bacons and hams and of other course, things. Of course, we're still <laughs>
2: eating them, <laughs> despite WHO's warning. People are warning. still
0: smoking as well. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I think we need to put things in context. So that's what we put in number one. Then what we put in number three are the things that the WHO through IARC has evaluated, but really not sufficient evidence to say that there are any carcinogens at all. So there's more than 500 compounds that the that the WHO has evaluated, and they've put them on the list because they're always suspected to be carcinogens. And Mm -hmm. that basically means that as new studies emerge, this might come off the list of from number 3 to 2B, and then from 2B to 2A, and from 2A to number Mm 1. But this really requires a lot of evidence to move something from 3 to 2 to Mm 1. And I think aspartame, in reality, has been in 2B for the longest time. And the evidence for it potentially being in 2A, etc. is really, to me at least, you know, I think we're missing the point. The yeah, point right. is really, what is our number one? What's the list of things that are on number one that we should really be focusing a lot more yes. on? Yes.
1: Because there's no disputing the level of evidence and the level of harm um, caused by the things in number one? Absolutely. There's an, and there's always going to be some
0: query over what is in number 2A or 2B. Mm. So 2A is where we consider that there may be evidence in animals. Mm. But I don't know about you, I don't particularly <laughs> feel that I look like a mouse or that I behave <laughs> like one or like a monkey or etc. Sometimes
2: I feel like a rat. <laughs> 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 on a good We're day not or not on a bad day? <laughs> no, <that's right. laughs> but you're right. You know, so animal experiments or animal studies doesn't translate to human.
0: Yeah, so there's there's going to be some ding dong between what is in 2A and 2B because it really depends on the level of anim, uh, evidence in animals. And we're getting more sophisticated in those studies uh, where certain genetic backgrounds or etc enable us to recapitulate what happens in human cancers much better in animals. Mm. And because of this type of animal work, then, you know, things might bounce around between what is now enlisted in 2A versus 2B and so on mm-hmm. but ultimately we need to keep our eye on the big picture what is on one what are we doing about the things in one mm-hmm. so you know for, we have to think about it who is actually taking a lot of as Parting? Is it the people who are by genetics or otherwise naturally thin, mm-hmm. or is it the people who are unfortunately either genetically predisposed or environmentally predisposed, you know, lifestyle, etc.? They are bigger and they have the obesity is a bigger challenge. Yes. Those might be individuals that are more likely to take aspartame, and then that becomes a, a bit of a double whammy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like what do you do with those individuals? What do you tell individuals who are trying to control their weight and not become even more obese? by kind of controlling their intake of um, sugar Mm -hmm. and other things. And now you're telling them, oh, you can't take aspartame. Mm. The worry there is really among those individuals. Yeah.
1: So what we want to find out is um, what do we really tell people now about consumption of aspartame? We'll need to go for a quick break now, but we'll come back and look at that. And first, actually, uh, when we come back, I would be asking Puan Narani to uh, tell us about the conclusion that IRC made, uh, you know, and there are words like limited evidence there uh, and link that to um, Jack Farr's uh, conclusion about what is uh, a safe level of consumption of aspartame, we'll come back and discuss that um, in the studio with me, my co-host Dr. George Lee, consultant urologist, Professor Dr. Teo Su Huang, Chief Scientific Officer at Cancer Research Malaysia, and also joining us on Zoom, Norani Eksan, Senior Director from the Food Safety and Quality Program at Ministry of Health. We're discussing aspartame today on the show, so stay tuned to Health and Living BFM eighty nine point nine. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, t Ik, for our Doctor in the Health segment today with my co-host, Dr. George Lee. We're discussing um, the WHO agency, the International Agency for Research on Cancer's recent uh, monograph which concluded uh, that aspartame is a possible carcinogen. Now, a very loaded statement, that one, if you just sort of take it uh, at face value without uh, sort of uh, peeling it back a little mm. bit and looking at the nuances. Uh, so it
2: really sensationalised?
1: It oh totally sensational <laughs> Let's find out exactly, yes, you yeah. know,
2: what it, what does it mean? Yes,
1: so uh, our guest joining us to um, break it down for us, T.S. Norani Aksan, Senior Director at the Food and Food Safety and Quality Programme Ministry of Health, and Professor Dr. Teo Huang, Chief Scientific Officer from Cancer Research Malaysia. Upon Puan Norani, before the break, um, I was saying that um, it would be good if you could actually sort of break down that conclusion from the IRC report uh, about aspartame uh, and uh, sort of uh, what was its statement about?
3: Yeah, I think first of all, it's what's been highlighted by um, uh, Professor Teo. I think uh, explaining about the, the role of IRAC. I think uh, IRAC look at whether there is a potential hazard on aspartame. Uh, it does not take into account how much a person needs to consume to be at risk. So as for this uh, program, it's undertake the risk assessment which determines the probability that a specific type of harm, uh, um, for example, cancer or genotoxi- uh, genotoxicity will occur under certain condition and level of exposure. And uh, based on the latest statement related to aspartame, uh, Far concluded that uh, the data evaluator indicated there is no sufficient reason to change the previously established acceptable dairy intake, ADI of 40 milligram per kilogram body weight for aspartame and reaffirm that it is safe for a person to consume within the limit per day. And then uh, I think just for information, when we talk about the uh, ADI or acceptable dairy intake, it is an estimate of the amount of an Additive in food, in this case is um, aspartame, it can be in food or in beverages that we we ingest or we consume, that can be safely consumed daily over a lifetime without uh, adverse health effect. Maybe uh, a simple uh, how to explain this is the average daily intake over a lifetime that is expected to be safe for human consumption based on a significant uh, research. And for example, and when we talk about how, because we are concerned about how much um, uh, people of a person can be exposed to this aspartame if they take you know for example uh, a diet coke, which is um uh, maybe uh, maybe I don't want to to, to mention the brand <laughs> a diet soda.
2: Maybe diet not, soda. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
3: it's, uh, it's a diet soda, you know? Uh, because for example, a can of soft drink containing you know uh, two hundred or three hundred milligrams of aspartame. Uh, for an adult weighing 70 uh, kilograms would need to consume more than 9 to 14 cans per day to exceed the acceptable daily intake, mm-hmm. assuming not at the intake from other food sources. Uh, for example, this uh, a person weighing uh, a body weight with 70 uh, kilograms, uh, taking, for example, 4 cans of uh, this diet soda, uh, per day, so we just multiply three hundred milligram times four divided by seventy. Then we will get seventy milligram per day, which is less than the fourteen milligram per kilogram body weight, which is the, the level of ADR. So it's still uh, it's still okay. But you if you are taking like nine to fourteen, for example, if you are taking um a ten, so it's forty two, which is exceeding. The ADI, which is it can be an appreciable risk, because when they calculate the the this ADI and the exposure, so they are calculating uh, the the amount that we are consumed for the rest of our life. Mm.
1: All right, mm-hmm. not not just literally uh, on a daily basis, um, oh. but we do need to. Again, put things in perspective. um, George, you don't drink 14 cans of diet soda a day, I'm sure.
2: (laughs) Only on a really bad day.
1: (laughs) But we we must remember aspartame may be used in other food products as well, right? Yes.
3: Yes, 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 of course, because when they carry out or they do a evaluation or the risk assessment, of course, when they carry out the exposure assessment, they will take into account all the other source of this hazard. In this case, is
1: uh, aspartame from also
3: the other board.
1: Mm, all right. Uh, Prof, you know, I think this idea of risk is something very difficult for people to wrap their heads around relative risk, Um in people's minds, maybe something should just be carcinogenic or not, and then you bring in possibly, you bring in probably, uh, <laughs> and then you put them in four different groups. Uh, and also,
2: you have to take into account your risk um, stratification, like you know, family history and your lifestyle, your body size. You know, so it's complicated.
0: It is, but also it's not. <laughs> I I do think that um, from a cancer perspective it is really important for us to really tackle the big things, right? So we really ought to tackle smoking, we ought to tackle the lack of physical activity, obesity... Uh, that, uh and and these things and hpv for example mm-hmm. these are all really important things that we should really handle but in terms of diet you know the reality is i've been trying to drink 3 liters of water every day for the longest time mm-hmm. i and 14 cans <laughs> of soft drink is more than 3 liters <laughs> no, of that's water it's impossible it is see. just not and if we think about it you know most cancers how long do they take to develop they mm-hmm. don't develop over a uh, 6 months period. They'll take years for mm-hmm. cancers to develop, which is why early detection of cancer is possible because it takes such a long time. Mm-hmm. We have the possibility of intervening in between. So I do think that this is being currently being sensationalised in a way that misses the point. The mm-hmm. point is how do we bring our population with us to mm-hmm. really think carefully about what are the stuff that we need to do to reduce our risk and be able to really separate out the, the,
2: the real stuff? In another way, it's kind of good to debunk a lot of myths, you know, opportunity like this to have a dialogue and to talk about cancer without taboo. Yeah. cancer is a taboo and obviously when sensations like this you know get people talking but at the end of the day like you highlighting that the big picture is that you know you're missing the big picture of the smokings, the hpv and then the breast examinations or early detection and i think in the way that's good but the worry is that people are focusing in such minutiae that they actually lose the big picture
0: yeah, absolutely right, George. You know, the big picture is that um, low-income patient, low-income pe- people, for example, are having real problems just getting enough dietary fiber. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a large increase in colorectal cancer simply because people are not getting enough fruits and vegetables,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: So, what are we doing about that? Why are we worrying about something like aspartame? Yes, I can understand that in specific populations you want to be aware. But the regulations are trying to kind of, um, you know, the food safety authorities and so on do have good regulations. They are controlling it to the best of ability. We really need to focus on
1: those issues. Indeed. Mm. Just very quickly, Pornoraini, um, you know, apart from cancer, there have been claims of aspartame being linked to other health conditions as well, and it, it's almost like uh, they just went through the uh, um, a, a medical dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from multiple sclerosis to blindness and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, can you uh, sort of reassure us as well um, aspartame safety in relation to these myriad health conditions?
3: Uh-huh. I think before that, I think I, I like um, how uh, Professor Chiu, you. <laughs> uh, you know, explain. You know, we have to look at the big picture you know uh, but i know that when we mentioned about the possible carcinogen you know people talk about carcinogen everybody got panic you know uh but i think uh, coming back to your question i think when jack, jack far you know when they uh, when they think about the aspartame link with the other condition that you are mentioning i think uh, jack far has considered all the possible health impact and undertake the risk assessment. So I think uh, when JEGFA have come out with the, the the statement, I think because the, the press release by the WHO is for the both Iraq and also the Jackfa, and I think they have reassured that uh, aspartame is safe, you know, to be added or to be consumed within the daily uh, uh, intake. Uh, I mean the daily uh, acceptable daily intake, which is forty milligrams per kilogram body weight. So I think. Uh, just to reassure all the, the public that uh, whatever that food uh, additive or um, preservative, you know, uh, that is added to food, it has first, of course, the rule of thumb, it has to be safe first and it has to be evaluated. Uh, and in this case, we are always referring to Codex and This check file is the the reference body or the the scientific body that carry out the risk assessment and is being referred uh, by by Codex. And Codex is, um, there is 188 members country and we want to set up the, you know, whether this editing need to be uh, added to put, you have to go through the process in Codex. And Malaysia as the signatory under WTO, and we are reposing also in CODAC. So we rest assured that whatever that we are uh, permit or to be added input, uh, if it's allowed internationally, you know, that has been evaluated by JECFA, then because JECFA take into account, you know, in terms of the exposure and they are fully back by the, the, the science base, then it should be safe. Mm. And uh, in our food regulation, all food, uh, you know, they are marketed, you know, or to be sold in Malaysia need to comply with the standard under our food and its regulation. And uh, in our food regulation, we prescribe uh, uh, the, you know, the level uh, in case of uh, the food additive. And, uh, and even for certain contaminants. And also, we prescribe uh, the standard of food in terms of the quality. So we look at not only in terms of the quality, but in terms of the safety. So whatever that, uh, anything that to be added in food in terms of food or uh, we will set the maximum level that allowed to be used. Uh, and also, uh, maximum level, for example, for pesticide is not, allowed to be used but it has been used but we we control in terms of the you know maximum permitted level Mm -hmm. which is also in line with what is in the codex
0: you know, Xiaoyi, uh, um, there's one thing I'm really frustrated with in this particular press release. In the past, when they had a press release about processed food, bacon and, and ham and the rest of it, you know, it was very straightforward, eat less if you can, right? Mm-hmm. And and that is a very straightforward, it's, it's right there in front of you, you know that it's got carcinogenic properties, it increases, it's a hazard in itself. So that's one simple action. But in this case, there was a missed opportunity because the reality is that aspartame is not something that we all see on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. right? So people don't see it and they're like worried, oh, where is it? You know, will I be consuming too much of it? Has it been properly controlled and so on? And there was really a missed opportunity to put it in context, to educate the public about what should you be doing and who is at risk, you know, which individuals are at risk and how, what can you do about it? And maybe the people who are, are more exposed or more likely to take the higher dose of aspartame mm-hmm. might be the, the individuals who are trying to lose weight. And mm-hmm. they're trying to either lose weight or maintain weight. And for those individuals, I think it's a missed opportunity to say, you know, what should you be doing? Should you be stopping consumption of any drinks of that sort? But what happens when your weight starts to go up? Because the reality is every kilo that you gain as a consequence of, you know, not controlling your sugary drinks and going back to that could be more detrimental to you from a hazard to cancer Mm -hmm. than actually continuing to take the aspartame-loaded soft Mm -hmm. drinks.
2: Because the key message seems to be headline, you know, aspartame will cause cancer. But yet, we analysed it, it's safe for you to carry on. Absolutely. <laughs> that's the kind of take home that most yeah. people have. And um, so the general public must be a bit puzzled by yeah. the whole message. Do we get worried or do we not?
0: Yeah, it's confusing. And I think that's the frustration that I face with this particular story, right? Mm-hmm. Because it wasn't clear what are the public health recommendations there for. Mm-hmm. You know, that and the, that clarity should come from the, should you know, every time we're giving out advice, it must come with clear instructions of what does this mean for me
2: mm-hmm.
0: otherwise we're talking science and we're defining things <laughs> yeah. and it's not the role of the public to try and
2: well, it, understand I'm sure that it'd level of detail it would be very frustrating if you start getting inundated with calls from cancer research malaysia then asking you to get you know clarification from that right
0: yeah it's it's yeah i think we need to be helpful in public health messaging, right? And I think whilst it's great to, you know, stimulate a discussion, you know, that wider, which is why it's really nice to be here at BFM because it's about putting things in context and Mm -hmm. trying to help
1: us understand in the big picture what does it actually all mean? Yeah, I mean, I really, um, as a member of the media myself uh, and representing BFM, we have that responsibility to play and uh, not putting up clickbaity headlines um, as well. So, what what is the answer to those questions you raised for people who are already struggling with obesity? Um, should they continue to take aspartame if it's uh, something that they're doing to reduce their calorie intake? I'm not a nutritionist,
0: and I really think that we we really ought to make sure that we're supporting individuals when they're taking the right steps to become uh, thinner, leaner, fitter, right? Because it's not just good for their cancer risk. It's also good for their heart disease risk. Mm-hmm. It's also good for their metabolic disease risk, you know, diabetes and so on. And these are uh, heart disease and diabetes is really big problems in this country. So we do need to kind of um, go out there and tell people, if you're losing weight, please continue. If for the time being, you know, having this diet that includes these items helps you get there, then please continue, but try and t- try and tone down on those as and when you can, right? Mm. Don't become addicted to those uh, you know, to the, to, that. to the sugar substitutes. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And and it's really a habit, right? You know, when we were living in the UK, I could mm. never imagine not having tea, black tea with sugar, uh, with milk and two sugars. But when you decide, you make a decision that actually I'm just going to have white tea Mm -hmm. with no sugar... It's actually after a while you cannot actually bear to drink, you know, mm-hmm. tea with sugars. Yeah. It's it's habit, right? Yeah.
2: Choy, the other thing which I'm a little bit curious about is that six weeks ago, exactly six weeks ago, we did a show on this, <laughs> right? Okay, and, um, and why?
1: Yeah, we looked at as a uh, WHO's report um, about aspartame as well, but that was in relation to weight control.
2: That's right, and then said it's ineffective, and in a way it almost seems like aspartame is the kind of like flavour of the month that WHO is incriminating. And I'm a little bit curious about how this information is stagnated in different stages to be released because they're six weeks apart of two different headlines that was being released. And why do they not consolidate all that in order to make it a better public health, um, you know, education?
1: Yeah, lots of questions there, and then it comes down to um, we. Everybody needs to do better at public health messaging. Uh, and, and Puan Arani, I just want to sort of get you to reiterate again because we asked Prof Teo about, you know, what would people with obesity um, do. And your, um, what you explained earlier about the safe level of consumption at 40 milligram per kilogram of body weight applies to everyone um, who would be consuming or who may have a reason to use aspartame, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah, it applies to everyone. Mm. Is for the general population because when uh, a check for evaluate and you know come up with the ADI because it's we compromise, I mean, uh, it's include all for the public uh, population. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when they carry out the exposure assessment, of course, they also take into consideration the they call it is a higher consumer for those that may be taking like maybe 10 or you know um, uh, 14 can of uh, diet soda. So that's why, uh, that's how they carry out all this uh, risk assessment and exposure
1: assessment. Prof, um, before we wrap up, uh, I just want to sort of look ahead a little bit. Uh, The IARC did say as part of the monograph, the the statements that uh, the findings underscore the need for more research. Um, What do you envision this research to look like? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, More
2: mouse. (laughs) Maybe less mouse, more human. Yeah, we're getting. You need to put forward some volunteers for that. (laughs) (laughs) Take drinking fourteen cans of diet soda.
0: Well, I think research can take place in different levels, right? So it's not just about what the animal models are, but also we're getting more fancy in being able to grow human organs in in a lab and being able to do the test there. And we're also getting more fancy in how we do biomarker-led studies in human beings. So we're doing some studies where we're trying to look at breast cancer prevention and we would have to recruit 100,000 women over a 30-year period to be able to say whether any of the things that we were studying was associated with risk. But by by becoming more clever at using biomarkers, mm-hmm. we're actually being able to do these studies faster with fewer individuals and take those forward accordingly. Mm. But for something like aspartame or other Food additives, it's actually extremely difficult. Simply because I'm gonna just ask this this question. I'm gonna do a straw poll in this office, right? How are, what are we eating today? You know, and how consistent is what you're eating today? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm getting bored. You know, I I can eat one thing one day, mm. next week I'm eating something different. So to try and recall what it is that you're eating at any time and then follow you for long enough to see how many of you get cancer, mm-hmm. actually is becoming increasingly difficult. Mm. So we do need to be uh, more clever at designing studies that are population-specific, that target the big things that are important in specific populations. Mm-hmm. And we can make a big difference for those items. You know, For example, what's the role of antioxidants in reducing our risk to cancer? Mm-hmm. Big question mark. How do we study those better? We've got some interesting stuff. We would really like to be able to take this prospectively to be able to inform the future. Mm-hmm. We're
1: definitely keeping our eye on Cancer Research Malaysia. <laughs> the work that they do is, is um, you know the most exciting mm-hmm. and innovative research. That's right. Because, we try. Yeah, we try. That's right. <laughs> yes.
2: And that's why you know, when you're very credible, the public will look to you for the answers when these big question marks headlines start, turns up, right?
0: Yeah. Which is why it's important to be independent. You know, many, th- many a times people say, you know, why don't you get funded by company X, company Y, and so on. Actually, we do get those, but we try and draw a line between their products and our research, mm-hmm. largely because... It's that independence that comes Mm with that credibility and the trust. right? The reason why we trust someone like IARC is because they're not directly funded, they're just reviewing all of the available research. And we need to bear that in mind.
2: You'll be a bit dubious when you start getting the soda company to actually sponsor a study like this and actually (laughs) say the conclusion is there's no risk at all.
1: (laughs) So I think I'd like to wrap up uh, and just the takeaway message, answering the questions that everybody has on their Minds, uh, is aspartame safe to be consumed? Um, Ponorani, perhaps we can get um, your takeaway message first.
3: I think um, I just want to highlight again. I think uh, uh, not not to get panicked. I think uh, I think if from the Ministry of Health, we always advise you know the consumer to eat in moderation. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter whether in terms of the aspartame, you know, or in terms of the the, the food that we choose. And I think, uh, think JAKFA has uh, recently also reaffirmed that, you know, hospital um, is safe if we take within the, the limit. Uh, and I think um, we will uh, keep up with the, uh, you know, uh, update with what is happening in the international level. And uh, as hospital um, has been evaluated and it has been shown that uh, very limited evidence and it has been shown that it's safe. So, uh we uh, will we, still, uh, you know, allowing this aspartame, you know, to be added in food or to be used in our food regulation until there is a study or there is an amendment or changes, uh, you know, made at the Codex level.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, Prof. Dio, your takeaway? Well, don't take a teaspoon of
0: aspartame, but maybe think about because <laughs> that, that dose is probably not good for you. But really think about how to you know if you're do if you're taking it a, uh, a diet that has got you know uh, aspartame as a substitute so that you can become thinner and mm-hmm. become fitter and healthier. You know, do that. Mm-hmm. Focus on getting healthier, fitter, leaner, and yeah. you know do what you need to because I think that's ultimately going to save your life.
2: Mm-hmm. Shall we? I'm going to be a devil's advocate here. You know, I like like sensation stories like this. I remember several years ago when there were headlines saying that, you know, char food from the frying woks will cause stomach cancer. Someone like my mother will catch the headlines and then eventually realise that, hey, I probably need to eat more fruit and vegetables. And that hidden message is really quite important. Just like what you said, you know, at the end of the day, if the headline is obesity will cause cancer, yeah. Uh-huh how many people will circulate that in WhatsApp groups? Right? Because everyone just goes, ah, oh, yeah, everyone's obese anyway, <laughs> because it's not a big problem. However, when we get sensation like this, just like what you said, when you actually get people's attention, then you put something in perspectives like what we're doing today. Hey, you're not drinking 14 cans, but by the way, watch your weight a little bit because you might end up having bowel cancer if you don't watch your weight. Yeah. I think that Teachable is... Teachable
0: moments. Exactly. Yeah, and fantastic. then I think
2: getting that headlines for people, so sensationalize a bit, but you have a key message to somehow instill that fear into someone
1: that's what we do here at bfm we go beyond the headlines that's right (laughs) thank you
2: and we do it subtly and then eventually we'll get someone even like you know my mother looking at the headlines and say okay la i'll eat more fruit and vegetable and less
1: wonderful (laughs) thank you so much for joining me on the show today uh, Ponorani exan Senior Director of the Food Safety and Quality Programme at Ministry of Health Professor Dr. Teo Suhuang Chief Scientific Officer at Cancer Research Malaysia and of course my co-host Dr. George Lee This has been Health and Living BFM
0: 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind download the BFM app